Thank you, worship team. I hope that's the cry of your heart right now, is to, to give him praise. And if it's not, can I ask you, then what is on your heart? What is on your heart that is greater than your Lord and your Savior this morning, where that's not what's going on? And, and I pray that through the message today, whatever is on your heart, that you would be filled with the glory of the great God as you hear his word this morning, and then that would be the response that you would want to, to give him praise. Thank you, worship team. I'm going to ask you the, the question of what, what do you imitate? What do you pattern your life after? You know, when our four children began to get older as parents, we began to notice how often their playing practices began to be patterned after us as parents. They loved dad and mom, and they wanted to be like dad and mom. And so our daughters would often say what we would say. When she fed and clothed their dolls, often the conversation was the conversation we have with our kids as we're at the dinner table saying the same things. Our children love stuffed animals, and so often they would take their stuffed animals to do all kinds of activities and events. And it just so happened those activities and events often were the activities and events that we did as a family. But it even would be somewhat entertaining to watch this play out even when their toys disobeyed or did something bad. Uh, and often we would hear the conversation and the acts of discipline being what me and my wife would often do. I remember when one of my children brought a, a toy Mr. Penguin out in school and was told that Mr. Penguin should not return because he was a distraction to the, all the other classmates. All my children were very swift to take discipline upon Mr. Penguin when he came back to the home. Uh, but this type of imitation, this type of patterning, it continues as we age into adulthood. Think about friendship groups in your life, how you would imitate maybe styles and clothes together. Uh, think about how you would often reflect one another's interests in what you would do. For those of you who are married, right, you see this play out, especially as you begin to imitate one another in your marriages, as you finish one another's sandwiches, right, as you begin to, to help one another in your marriage, you begin to see all ways that you imitate one another. But then, also, even as a pastor, I've seen how this plays out. My wife, who's been a member here for over 20-plus years, often says, at times, Aaron, you sounded like Pastor Viers when you said that. Or you sounded like Pastor Green when you, you said that. And it's because as we sit even under the preaching and teaching of the Word regularly by somebody, you begin to imitate them in some degree or another. But the point is, we all pattern our lives around what we especially praise that you will end up living like what you love. You will reflect what you revere. You might say it this way, people be praising. It's just a matter of what or of who that you are praising. And with that in mind, I want to have you turn into Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible. It's page 150 in the New Testament as we think about this truth that we are a worshiper, that we are fundamentally, this is one aspect of our identity as a worshiper. Ephesians 1, that's page 150 in the New Testament in the back section under the Bible and chair in front of you, Ephesians chapter 1. Our, our church's theme this year is building on our heritage. And God in his grace has given us a wonderful heritage as a church family. And the question that we're really considering, what does it look like for us to be building wisely on the heritage of what God has in Christ given us? In these early months of 2024, we've been focusing especially on the, the truths of Ephesians 1 and remembering our identity as one in Christ. And so as we go through Ephesians chapter 1, we've been focusing on different aspects of these first 14 verses. 
But this morning, especially looking at what God tells us is the goal or the end purpose because of our identity in Christ as worshipers. For what end or goal and purpose are we blessed? For what end or goal or purpose are we set apart as saints? For what end or goal or purpose are we chosen? Are we adopted? Are we united? Are we forgiven? Are we redeemed? I think it becomes clear God wants us to have clear understanding of what our purpose is for all of this great salvation that Jesus provides us in Jesus. Beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will." to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. And with the time that we have remaining, I want us to think about two responses because of our identity in Christ. You being a worshiper, what are two responses that we see clearly from the text? Is worship is the proper response of the triune's God's work in creation and salvation. Worship is the proper response for the triune God's work in salvation. What is the end? What is the goal? What is the purpose of God's salvation? According to this passage, it's repeated three times in several verses to the praise of God's glory. And so the proper response of worship is the end goal. But in order to give proper worship, we must have the proper object of our worship. Who or what are we worshiping for God to say that is true worship? And the point is, it's the one true God who is Trinity. The God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians worship and praise this God. The passage teaches us that the person of the Trinity, he works inseparately to save us from our sins. That each person works inseparably, inseparably. So our rescue from sin is both the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So every act of God, every act of God toward His creation is an inseparable work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
happening from the Father, in the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it's proper to worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each person who is the true God. Notice first the passage meshes we worship God because of the work of the Father. Because of the work of the Father. We see this in verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He, the Father, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He, the Father, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. For what purpose? What's the goal? To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Father's grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved Christ. And so as we look at this passage, who do we bless or praise? The God and Father. Who blesses us? The Father. And yet, how is this work being accomplished? Notice it's done in Christ, not apart from Christ. The blessing work of the Father in our salvation is inseparable from the Son. Who chooses us? Text says, the Father. How is the choosing working? How is it done? Notice, it's done in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And so the the Father and Son are working inseparably. The Son does nothing apart from the Father for our salvation. Who predestines to adoption? Well, the Father. How is the predestining and to adoption happening? Again, it says through Jesus Christ. Not apart from Jesus. Through Jesus. And, And the kindness that God the Father bestows on us is not apart from Jesus, but in the Beloved. So we experience the kindness of God in the Beloved in Christ. And so proper worship must be given to God the Father. Therefore, any kind of worship that somebody would offer that is opposed to the worship of God the Father cannot be true worship. You're not praising the right God. And so if you are a Christian, you worship God the Father. Your adoption into God's family leads your heart to want to praise and pray to God your heavenly Father. This point is made clear when we see also what the Holy Spirit does in leading us to praise the Father. Romans 8, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, right? So this is shown that you're adopted. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit himself, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the goal of our salvation, as we think about being worshipers of God, it involves praising specifically our Heavenly Father's glorious grace, His excellent kindness toward us. That's what God is seeking to pattern each of us to do in our lives. And so God is purposing everything for this purpose everything for this purpose of praising his glory and his grace. And so does your purpose in life, when you think about the end goal of your life, does it align with what God says is his end goal for all things? Is that really your purpose? Think about the difficult medical challenges that we're even mentioning, or that maybe you're even going through, that those are purpose to eventually praise God's glorious grace. As I consider his kindness, for example, to give me a glorious, glorified body, that's going to lead me to praise his glorious grace. 
And so those medical challenges are not for the purpose that I would pattern my life on the purpose of putting my ultimate hope in the kindness of human doctors. No, God's goal is that my worship and my praise would be for the purpose of seeing and praising His glorious grace. Think about sin that brings consequences in my life with earthly family members or relationships. Think about that God is purposing, He says, my heavenly Father is purposing that those things even, that I might marvel and praise His glorious grace. In what way? In things like that He would lavish me with eternal love and welcome me into a family with Him that is secure. And so again, if my purpose and my goal in life is that my even human relationships would be ultimately at peace and secure, God is saying, no, no, I have a greater and better purpose for which you think about those relationships and how you handle those relationships. It's opportunities for you to praise my glorious grace. And so if we are not living like a worship of of God the Father, you're not going to be looking for ways to identify and praise His grace. You, what's beautiful about this purpose that God is saying is you live out this purpose, as we were just singing about, it, it never fades because our God never fades. I can do this no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter where I find myself in life. I have always opportunities to live out my identity to praise God's glorious kindness in my life. My identity as a Christian is worshiping God the Father's glorious grace. And so are you seeking right now this week to identify ways that you get to praise God's glorious grace? Are you patterning your life off of that purpose? That's my purpose. That's what God is bringing all things toward. He made me to be a worshiper and praising His grace every single day of my life. For example, if somebody says, I'm an athlete, and that identify it as an athlete, you would expect them to prioritize time, right? To get in the gym, to exercise, to get more reps, to go swinging, hit the baseball bat, take time to throw, shoot the ball, looking at game tape. If somebody were to identify as a surgeon, you would expect them to be around patients, right? Regularly operating on patients, looking at medical scans before they operate. Well, if God says we are to identify ourselves as worshipers, of God as Christians, what do we expect to be doing? Praising His glorious grace. If that's our identity, that's what we do. We praise God's glorious grace. Being a worshiper because of the work of God the Father is also evidenced, especially in your life, through prayer. Through prayer. And Paul's going to model this in his letters. His praise of God and his worship of God is shown in the fact he bows his knees before his heavenly Father and he prays on behalf of the Christians. And he does it twice in this very letter, showing, right, this is what he worships. This is who he believes is best. See, your desire to pray is evidence of your salvation. It's Christians who have been saved by God's grace that they actually desire to want to pray to God and call him, you're my father, and I want to pray to you. And so prayer is one of the evidences that shows that we are worshipers of God the Father. And so are you seeking to identify ways to pray for God's glorious grace, his amazing kindness to be put on display in your life and in the lives of others and in this world so that you would have opportunities when he answers prayers for his glory, you could praise him. You could lift up his name as we were singing about this morning. Consider this aspect, especially in our church's heritage. 
the answered prayer for our church in its history of faith church being planted on the east side of town by Kasuth Street Baptist Church, that those believers were praying for the gospel to advance and praying for somebody to go, and then they sent out members, and God answered their prayers to establish this local church. We think about answered prayer in the lives of when there was difficult pastoral transitions at times. God had answered prayer in bringing a senior pastor in this church's need, time of need with Pastor Bill Good. Many of you can remember maybe even the answered prayers for Faith Christian School and that starting in our church family. This campus, for those of who were founding in 2013, before this campus was even had this property, we were looking at other things. And I remember walking as a college student with this church family. We were doing a prayer walk around Purdue's campus, just praying and asking God, please direct our steps to where you would want us to be, to lift high your name. And God provided more than abundantly what we were even thinking or asking and even the answer to prayer of this property. There are so many times where I can look back and just think, Wow, God, you answered our prayers far more than we thought or imagined. And then it led us to do what? Praise his grace. Praise his grace. Thinking about even last year when our church set out to do the strategic ministry plan, and I was part of sort of putting together a prayer committee, and we were praying for all these projects that were happening, and many of the things that God did far beyond what we were even thinking or asking as a church family in those moments. Again, God just abundantly blessing beyond what we would even think or ask. But prayer is a great delight, and we see this answered in so many ways. Recent missionaries from our church sent out for the sake of the gospel answered prayer even in church family members in very personal ways. I remember sharing a testimony about my younger son who has special needs, and we had been praying as a family for him to be able to sit up and, uh, and not have seizures. And uh, by God's grace, God answered that prayer, even just recently. And we had somebody, some dear friends of ours who had been praying for seizures for months, and then finally he didn't have any seizures, and we just even forgot to tell them, right? And yet, and then all of a sudden they're, they're marveling, right? And they're rejoicing and praising God's grace. Why? Because they were praying and looking for God's grace to be put on display. We praise God the Father for our salvation and His glorious grace. We also praise the Son because of the work of the Son. Because of the work of the Son. Ephesians 1, 7 through 12 really focuses then especially on the work that the, the Son is doing in our salvation. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to the administration suitable for the fullness of times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Our redemption is in Christ, not apart from him. It's through his blood, not apart from his blood, that we are redeemed. See, the mystery of God's will is fulfilled in Christ, not apart from Jesus. And our hope is in Christ, not apart from Christ as Christians. And, and, but yes, notice again, the goal or the purpose of our salvation is praising the glory of our redeeming God. And so being a worshiper because of the work of God the Son implies that you cannot be a true worshiper of God unless your hope is right in Jesus Christ and you are praising Jesus Christ. 
See, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saves sinners. So there is no salvation apart from the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no true worship of God apart from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is very important then as we think about our sharing of the gospel and our evangelism to other people who say, I worship God or I worship God's. If their worship of God or their worship of God's does not involve the praise and worship of Jesus, for example, Muslims would say that they worship God, and yet they would deny that Jesus is God. So are they truly worshiping God? The text of this answer would say is no, because the true God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and there's no salvation, no proper worship of God that can happen apart from Christ. See, God's goal is to have a people praising the glory of the God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. We also worship and praise God because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, In him you also, having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Next week, Pastor Viers will be spending more time unpacking especially this text and about the sealing and the work of the Holy Spirit. But notice again, the sealing in Christ is not apart from the Holy Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. The work of the Holy Spirit is inseparable from the saving work of the Father and the Son. And so the Son glorifies the Father by doing the Father's will, and the Spirit glorifies the Father right? Also by also doing the will of the Son and the Father for which he was sent. And so what are the implications as we think about worship? There's a lot of language in our culture that talks about spiritual things, that this was a spiritual event. And what we have to be careful about is when we hear things like, I think the Spirit of God was working through these other spirits or these other religions. That's contrary to what the Word of Scripture speaks about the Holy Spirit. That truly spiritual things that are of the Holy Spirit are involving the praise of Jesus Christ and the praise of the Father. And they're inseparably tied to the work that God talks about in the Scriptures. And so if I hear something or somebody saying, I think that's a work of the Spirit, and yet they don't profess Jesus as Lord, they don't say that he is God, that is not spiritual of the Holy Spirit. That's spiritual in the sense of demonic forces of darkness. And so we have to be, as Christians, as making sure that we are worshiping God, that truly spiritual things that are from the Holy Spirit lead to praise and worship of the triune God. Second, reject the the temptation to worship something else. If our goal of our salvation, our identity in Christ, is for worshiping the glory of God, what that means is we have to make sure we reject any other goal or any other purpose. And if the glorious grace of God, the glorious kindness of God is what's needed for our salvation, what's sort of implied in this passage is there's a problem. There's a reason we needed God's grace in this way. There's a reason we needed to be saved from our sins. It's because we don't worship God as we ought. All of us do not worship God as we ought. And we sin in that way. And notice a powerful contrast from what a true worshiper does between what we naturally do apart from Jesus' saving kindness. Consider in your own life how many moments... How many days, how many situations where you can think of where you did not worship God? 
but instead valued something else as more important than pleasing the Lord in that moment. That's a big list, isn't it? Just take a moment just to think about how often you don't worship God as you ought. Each of us has been tempted to put something before the Lord and love it more than God. And God knows the evil desires of our heart. He knows our temptation to do this, which is why the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, have no other gods before me. We must love the Lord with our heart. And when we worship something else, God says we are deceived. We're believing a lie. And then you're seeking to live your purpose and your goal for something that is deceiving you. That's a lie. And God makes this point clear, even to Israel. When you put yourself something before worshiping God, the idols of their culture, what what does God say? He says, but the rest of it, he makes into a God, his graven image, right? So you can imagine the, the Israelites are fashioning and making their gods. He falls down before it and worship it. He prays to it. So, so there's the worship aspect. God wants us praying to our Heavenly Father, and yet when we worship something else, we're often praying and asking those things, saying what? Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Again, the imagery of a wooden statue being made and half of it they put in the fire and it burns and the other half they're making and they're worshiping it. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination and I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes, a deceived heart, and he cannot deliver himself. That's the point. That's why we need God's glorious grace. We are so deceived that we can't even deliver ourselves from this false worship. This is what we naturally do. We naturally don't worship the Lord. We must have salvation come from God, and He must transform and change our hearts by His kindness and grace and give us new life, new eyes to see, new hearts that understand, because we cannot save ourselves. They don't even ask the question, is there not a lie in my right hand? Do you see idolatry when you put something else before God? It's like a lie is in my hand. The command to worship is so serious that we must flee from idolatry or worship something else. We see it even to the Corinthians. Now these things occurred, referring to what happened to the nation of Israel, keeping us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And that's the temptation for each of us, to set our hearts on evil things. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Instead, flee from idolatry. And it's important that an idol, it's not just a physical statue, but it can be people, it could be resources, it could be any even good gift of creation. As Luther says, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God in that moment. So what reasons does God remind us of our consequences So when we worship something else, if we're not praising God, if we're not making this our goal and this our purpose, what are the consequences that God says of worshiping something else? Well, he says, because you exchange what is glorious for what is fading. You exchange what is glorious for what is fading. God says, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image and the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. God says we're naturally fools. <laughs> we're naturally turning ourselves over to something that is not as glorious as our God. And we do a really, really bad deal 
It's a bad exchange. See how the people of Israel often mention that they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for an image of an ox that eats grass. For the time of an ox that eats grass, they forgot their God and their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. So they chose a cow idol like the nations around them rather than worshiping their glory, their God, who had actually had the power and actually had done these great things, these glorious displays of His kindness. And when we worship something else, you're going to forget God and His grace. You're going to get who really has the power to save. And look at the bad exchange. What do they get out of the deal? A fake grass-eating beast instead of the God who had actually done all these wonderful things. But we are always looking for a good deal, aren't we? People putting on eBay, people putting out on Facebook Marketplace, always looking for a good deal. Think of even stock exchanges, investments, looking to make a deal that profits. Even in my kids' children's ministry, often at school, there's like a, a bartering and trade market where all the kids are bringing their toys, trying to see who gets the best deal out of it all. Well, when my wife and I came back from celebrating our, our 10-year anniversary a little while ago, we tried to exchange some euros for U.S. dollars when we got back into the States. And I had about 30 euros that I did not use. And a euro is a, basically is slightly more than a dollar. So I'm thinking maybe within a little exchange rate, I'll have like $25, $26 after I go and exchange it at the bank. And, and so I was expecting or something like that. And, and so after the guy told me, he says, yeah, I can exchange that. And I said, oh, so how much would I get back? He said, 85 cents. I was in shock, just total shock. Jeff, you were there, I think, at the bank um, that day, right? That was the worst exchange rate possible that I could imagine, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, I'm going to hold on to those 30 euros, and maybe somebody I know is going to go to Europe, and I'll give it to them. I'm not going to exchange 30 euros for 85 cents. See, God says when we don't worship God, we exchange glory for something that does not profit. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And it's something that is fading away like a bird, their idol, whatever you are doing, it's going to fade. Where we were just singing about the glory of our God, it doesn't fade. And so we have to make sure whatever temptation that I'm tempted to worship, I need to remind myself, that's a really bad deal. And part of my spiritual growth is maybe sometimes I got to tell myself that. I got to preach that. That's bad. That's a bad deal. That's fading. Certain beauty to gain the glory of people. Sometimes I have to say no deal. That's fading. Sexual immorality to get momentary plashing pressure. I have to say no deal. That's a bad exchange. It's fading. And so when you're around those some things that draw your heart away from the glory of God, you have to remember to put into practice, there's an exchange going on here. There's a transaction that's happening. And I don't want to be in the the path that's getting the, the bad end of that deal. In our church's history, we think about some of these exchanges that as a church family, we had to sort of say no deal to. One of those is the sufficiency of Scripture. Do we believe that God's Word actually has everything that we need to know God and live in a way that pleases God? And do we believe that God's Word is true? And there's going to be lots of exchanges, idols out there that are going to say, give up God's Word. We have a better wisdom for you. And part of it is no deal. That's what Christians do. When they worship the Lord, they say, that's a bad deal. How could I give up the reliable and sufficient word of my God for that? 
There's going to be opinions out there, for example, that somebody like a drunkard can't change. And that's the message. That's your identity. You can't change. Well, as Christians, we have to say that's a bad deal. God's Word says something very different. God says we can grow and change to become more like Christ as Christians. That we can put off sin and we can be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Contrast again this to the gift of eternal life. God says, look at how bad this deal is. And he says, I give you something so much better. And it's freely given to you through faith in Jesus. See, God offers us the truth of the good news. It's no deception that through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and dying for your sins and rising from the dead, he makes it possible for you to have eternal life if you would believe him. And there's no falsehood to that. It's reliable. It's true. And receiving Jesus and getting a right relationship with him and being included in his family, it's a way better deal than idol. As Jesus says, it's like you're, you're going after the greatest treasure. You're willing to sell everything, investing your life to have him. It's a no-brainer. Remember, idolatry is a bad exchange because it's fading, but also because your glory is made into shame. Your glory is made into shame. Wrong worship ends in shame. This consequence comes up over and over and over again. Isaiah forty-two seventeen, They will be turned back and be utterly put to shame who trust in idols. Or Hosea 4, 7, the more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. Or Isaiah 9, 10, they devoted themselves to shame when they worshiped these things that are other than me. Or as Paul would talk about, referring to those who are especially focused on dietary restrictions and opposing Jesus, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who sets their mind on earthly things. God's point is, instead of being honored, when you worship the Lord, when you worship Jesus, you will be honored. You will be actually share in partaking and reigning with Christ. And there's glory that God says to that. But if you worship something else, you will be humiliated for worshiping the wrong thing. That's why Paul would remind the Romans, what benefit were you deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? The outcome of those things, it's death. Think about the shame. And all of us knows this, the feeling, right, of the shame, the guilt when we have done something wrong that is not pleasing to God. And what do you do with that? People say, I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel that guilt. But notice the text is very clear. The only way that you experience the, the freedom and the joy of your shame being removed is because you worship something different. It's because you worship the Lord who's powerful enough to forgive you of your guilt. To, to cast that shame as you become given the righteousness of Jesus. But that requires a change in worship. And many times people say, I don't want the shame, but I'm unwilling to worship anything different in my life. I, I still love this thing, and I still want to pursue it. And as long as you still love this thing and you still want to pursue it, it's going to end in shame if it's not Jesus. Additionally, we reject it because instead of being blessed, you are cursed. You are cursed. Remember that the source of blessing is God. God told Adam and Eve, he first created them and then God blessed them. God blesses us to be his image bearers and to represent what he is like through the world. And this is a wonderful glory and it's a wonderful privilege. 
But again, they disobeyed the Lord. They did not worship the Lord by listening to his voice. And because of their actions, they are cursed. And the consequences of sin has spread to all creation. Genesis 3.17. Then Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. But even later in the nation of Israel, we see because the Lord, they did not worship the Lord, the God said that he would scatter him among the peoples and you will be left in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor smell. These consequences of the covenant, these curses that pour upon them because of their false worship. But part of the curse of idol worship is especially in the sense that we become like what we worship. You begin to imitate and become like, not reflecting the glory of God as you were created to be as a worshiper, and instead you begin to reflect the very thing that you worship that's not God. We see this played out in Isaiah 6, 9 through 11, where he talks about, go and tell the people, keep on listening, but don't perceive, keep on looking, but don't understand, render their hearts of this people insensitive their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, return and be healed. And so instead of praising the Lord, as the psalmist says, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. When we worship idols like silver and gold, what does God say? Those who make them will become like them. And so will all who trust in them. So the consequence is, as one commentator, G.K. Beale, writes, the worshiper, rather than expecting a life-giving blessing, has received a curse by becoming as spiritually inanimate, empty, rebellious, or shameful as the idol is depicted to be. So Israel, for example, worshiped the idol of a golden calf. And like a stubborn and stiff-necked domesticated animal, That's what they became like. They were stubborn and a stiff-necked people who would not listen to God's word and the commands of their master. No matter what God was trying to do, they would not listen. And if you've ever seen a cow in the road that just decides to stop there, there's not a lot you can do, right? Until it decides to get up and move. And that's the imagery. They're stiff-necked. They had become like the very thing, this golden calf that they worshiped. They were now imitating and like I had several family members who served in the wars, and one of them wanted me to watch a movie called Patton, and it's about a general in the U.S. Army. And I still remember this scene that reminds me of this point about stiff-necked animals. There's a scene in the movie in World War II where there's these mules that had blocked a bridge in Sicily in the offensive that they had in 1943. And it sort of stops General Patton and his, his armored division from moving. And so planes are firing, people are shooting, all these men, and he's going, what's the holdup? Why are we stopped here? And so he drives down and he goes to see why are all these people dying? And then there's these two mules that are on the bridge that are unwilling to move, right? And the master, he's trying to get them off, and it doesn't matter what they do, they're not moving, right? And then Patton ends up shooting them and throwing them off the bridge and saying, all these innocent men are dying for these stubborn mules. And that's the imagery when I think of spiritual idolatry. I don't think the donkeys were even aware of what was happening and the consequences of their actions and choices in that moment and all of this destruction that's happening to the lives of others. When we worship something else, we don't even think about those things. 
We're deceived. And we don't see the consequences that our action has, not just on us, but on even the others around us. One becomes like the earthly object to which one is devoted, which leads to destruction, as Beale writes. How does this dynamic get played out in your life? Think about that. How does it play out in my life? Do I become like the very thing I idolize? Well, think about this. If I idolize sexual immorality or I praise pornography, we become like what we worship. Meaning it doesn't really see you when you had a tough day. It has no power to deliver you. It doesn't speak words of truth. It doesn't care about the Lord, your life, your marriage, your family, your testimony. It won't show you any mercy. And if you worship it, if that's what you praise, you will be insensitive and not see God or others as God would want you to see him as his image bearer. Meaning, think about this. You don't listen and have ears to hear the warnings of God about the horrors of this path, to hear the concerns of your family or your spouse and the consequences that it brings to their life. You don't speak about God. You don't speak about sex. You don't speak about other people as God made you to speak as his image bearer. And what you reflect eventually is what pornography reflects, a deceptive, selfish, destructive, insensitive, beast-like God. Think about comfort. If even a good thing like comfort, we can think, that seems like a really good God. But think about if I idolize comfort, we won't see. You will be blind to the kindness and the love of God at work, especially through trials and sufferings. You're not going to look for ways God's grace is at work. You're not going to see trials and sufferings as a means in which God is helping you become more like Jesus to worship him. If idol is comfort, you're going to see all of those trials and sufferings through the lens of, I can't see how this is good. You're blind, spiritually blind to God's purpose. You won't listen to the needs of others. If comfort is your idol, when other people are going through trials, you see any type of additional work that you have to do for others, that's a burden. Or I won't speak the truth in love. If comfort is my idol, when somebody's going on a path of destruction that leads to their destruction, if comfort is your goal, you're often not going to speak in those moments. You're not going to speak the truth when it's hard. You're going to want to flatter them. And again, you're not speaking as God would want you. You're not representing him. We won't move our faith like our Savior toward things that are challenging and willing to face opposition for God's glory. You're going to be immobilized, expecting this life is about your ease and comfort. Oh man, when I think about as a parent in the moments that my life is about comfort, how does that impact how I care about teaching my kids, disciplining my kids? And instead, what do my kids see? A a passive dad. Right? A dad who just wants his ease. Right? And I become unlike the thing that God created me, to, to lovingly father my children. And so the image, again, a lazy, shameful, self-focused bystander to the mission of God in this world who rebels, you're going to obey and disobey the Lord any time when it's challenging. That's what the idol of comfort looks like played out in my life. But think, you have a relationship with God who is like nothing in all of creation. A God who sees all, who hears all, who knows all, who speaks and always speaks the truth. Who knowing all desires our greatest purpose and joy. And so he can do all things and always act righteously. And so I have to think, this is the God I want to pattern my life after. 
The final reason we should reject worshiping something else is because you become empty instead of satisfied. You become empty instead of satisfied. Jeremiah 2, 5, Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me? What, they went far from me and walked after emptiness, and they became empty. Or as God reminded his people in 2 Kings about the people of Israel's idolatry, how they followed idols and they became empty. See, God shows us that the idols are, it's like a broken bottle that has no bottom and the thing cannot sufficiently satisfy your thirst. But it's not that you will eventually see that this thing can't satisfy. But God says the consequence is not just that this thing is unsatisfying, that you become empty yourself. You yourself become empty. Again, what does that look like in our life? Think about the person who worships leisure and vacation. It's not that just in time you will see that no vacation seems long enough in your life. So you go longer, you pay more, you do more activities, less activities, and yet you return to life. And and if you're idolizing that vacation, what begins to happen is not just that the vacation seems empty, you become empty. Your state of being is not satisfied and full. Your identity seems empty. So questions like, what's the point? What's my purpose? Why should I care? I feel like I don't matter. Those are the starts to be the questions that come when that idol begins in your life to start to just fall apart and you start to see how empty it is. It's not just that the idol becomes empty. You yourself starts to see the emptiness and become like it. And think again, this emptiness is God's gracious consequence to point you and I to our purpose, to where is fullness found? Where is abundant life found? It's in the Lord alone, the infinite one, not in something finite. And he is purposing all of these things that I might worship him and praise him. And apart from him, though, that's why we need his saving grace. We don't see just how empty we become and how empty the things that we worship become when we're not doing it for his glory and honor. Again, contrast the empty condition to the fullness of every spiritual blessing that we possess in Christ in the heavenly places. Who can offer you that? What thing in this creation can offer you that? There is nothing to compare to the glorious kindness of God to save us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for your glorious grace. Thank you for your in love sending your son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross and rise again from the dead so that we can be made right with you and experience fullness of life and fullness of joy and the fullness of forgiveness of our sins through faith in him. And then you would lavish us not just with kindness now that we begin to experience the joy of worshiping and praising you, but, but Lord, even experiencing your abundant kindness in the coming ages that we're going to get to see. And so, Lord, I pray as a people that we would be ones who are quick to be on the lookout to accomplish the purpose for which you save us, to praise your glorious grace. Father, there may be people here today, though, that they are realizing that's not been their purpose. They have been living to worship something else. And I pray, Lord, they would see this is where the good news of Jesus meets them where they're at. Lord, that they can come to Jesus to find forgiveness for their sins. They can put off the worship of something else and worship Jesus for the first time today as they would trust in him. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be conforming our lives and patterning our lives around the praise of our great God. 
that we would even as a church family, Lord, seek to be doing this this week as we consider all the types of things in creation that could easily, we could exchange and think is more valuable than you. And in those moments, Lord, instead to worship you and to steward these things as you would want us to, not making them greater than you, but subservient to your will and your purposes for which you to be honored. Lord, I pray even as a church family tonight, as we gather together to celebrate the Lord's table, it's an opportunity for us to praise God for the wonderful grace of Jesus. It's an opportunity to praise your grace in the lives of those whom you have saved and who are now being included in your family. Lord, it's a wonderful time to praise also your glorious grace and our church's history as we recount all the ways your grace has been at work in the lives of your people. Lord, help us to be a people that worships and praises you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.